This is Fearless Beauties, a podcast dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. We're talking to estheticians, skin specialists, and business owners to uncover best skin practices, tactical career tips, and ultimately, how we can create a better beauty industry together. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. Thanks for tuning in to Fearless Beauties. For this week's episode, we're diving into a topic near and dear to my heart, getting started as a new esthetician. As the founder of a beauty school myself, I see new students coming in with more passion and excitement for the industry and an idea of what kind of career niche that they already want to get into. The younger generation is really tuned into social media and seeing images on Instagram inspires them, as well as the impact that they feel from beauty influencers. Once they're in school, they might change or expand their focus as they get educated, but I think they're stronger from the beginning. And our more mature students usually are at a crossroads where they've had a big dream for a long time and they're finally ready to make it a reality. I think one of the biggest challenges is having schools that don't teach a strong aesthetic curriculum, so students graduate feeling unprepared for the real world. They've got enough knowledge to pass the state board, but they don't have confidence treating clients' real skin issues. To discuss this topic further, I decided to bring in my Fearless Beauty's media coordinator, Megan Rayo, from Electric Beauty Productions, to co-host with me today. Megan traveled with Fearless Beauty's last year, capturing the stories of aesthetic entrepreneurs Her business, Electric Beauty Productions, works with new estheticians and entrepreneurs to build their digital presence. Hi there. I'm excited to be on the show. Megan, what are some of the biggest challenges you see facing new estheticians? One challenge I see is that estheticians try to be a Jill of all trades, so to speak, so that they're offering every service or treatment possible to their clients instead of focusing on one niche treatment. By owning in on your branding and your marketing to one or just a few treatments, you can really separate yourself from the pack by having a specialty. I can really identify with trying to be a Jill of all trades. When I first started in aesthetics, I was so excited about everything that I was trying to offer every kind of facial treatment, every kind of new um, skincare device. I wanted to bring in things like spray tanning and makeup services and different body contouring things that I just didn't have time or room or actually even the ability to develop the expertise uh, to do all of these services. But it was so exciting. So I know that interest in aesthetic schools is growing, Um, interest in aesthetic schools and enrollment is climbing. I spoke with someone at ASCP, the Association of Skincare Professionals. That's one of the largest, if not the largest, professional organization for our industry. ASCP has an umbrella organization that offers liability insurance to other spa professionals that include massage therapists, um, as well as skincare and nails. 20 years ago, their membership was 80% massage and 20% skin. Over the course of 20 years, that has flipped so that now their membership is 80% skincare professionals and 20% massage because skin is in. Researchers are just recognizing the importance of healthy skin and how a lot of our total body health is really manifested in the health of our skin. Additionally, our culture is really fastly moving to a multi-ethnic identity. We really need to work on being educated on how to treat all skin types. Okay, Mary, let's get into it. 
For today's episode, you said we'd be focusing on how estheticians get their start. Right off the bat, I think about Dia Fairley, who's based in Atlanta, and she has an amazing spa called Gorgeous Glow Aesthetics. Yeah, remember we met Dia when we were doing the uh, face and body show in Atlanta? And she just seemed so down to earth when she stopped to talk to us. She seemed so real. And she really had a vision about aesthetics and what she wanted as a professional. She had a very different introduction to the beauty industry. She knew she didn't want to work for anyone from the start. Well, I can't wait to hear her story. Here it is. I didn't work for anybody else. I didn't want to work for anybody else. And of course, people will tell you that you're crazy. You need to go get some experience somewhere, blah, blah, blah. But I am very headstrong. I'm a Taurus. So I'm like, no, I'm going to do it myself. So it's very possible to do it. It is more tedious. It is more hard work. But people appreciate doing things in the comfort and privacy of their own home. I had a few clients mobile. And those clients actually followed me to my brick and mortar. Well, so with mobile, I did only waxing. I, I actually refused to bring a steamer and hot towels and a cabbie and all that other kind of stuff. I refused to bring that with me. So I did mobile waxing. I only had a table and some wax. So that was more feasible than steamer, mag lamp, hot towels, glass bowls, all that other stuff that you need for a facial. So when I started taking facial clients or people were asking facials, I'm like, I'm I'm looking for a place, guys. And also in Atlanta, it's expensive over here. When I say Atlanta, I mean city of. I am about five minutes from downtown Atlanta. So everything is super expensive if you are trying to uh, first start off on your own. You have all of that rent to pay for a brick and mortar lease. So I found a really good spot in Midtown Atlanta. And um, I actually just moved to, I want to say West Midtown. And my clients followed me from there to over there. So extremely grateful, extremely thankful for that. I think Dia had a great idea. She started with one thing, she did one thing well, and then she expanded as her clientele developed trust in her and they demanded more. It's all about that niche, baby. Well, she had the right marketing, equipment, sanitation, supplies. I think a mobile facial business could do really well. Genius, for sure. But if you're starting any kind of startup, right? Startup costs, you have to consider carefully, whether it's your mobile business or even brick and mortar. I think new or younger estheticians sometimes miss the startup expenses. They don't factor in how much cash flow they're going to need to sustain and make a living for themselves. You know, besides aesthetic supplies like a wax pot, they have to think about liability insurance, business licensing, putting enough money away for taxes. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of unexpected challenges that come with entrepreneurship. I think when I decided to start a marketing agency, you know, I I bootstrapped it all together, had all my camera gear, had all my video gear, had all my, you know, digital website things accounted for. But then those unexpected costs come up like insurance, like paying a lawyer to get your contracts drawn up. You know, there's always um, unexpected fees when it comes to running your own business. And I, I think being as educated as you can along the way and being open to all of the new lessons that you learn along the way is really important. 
But did Dia ever talk to you about her formal education in aesthetics? Of course she did. When I first got the idea in my head and I started looking for schools, the school that I went to, Elaine Sterling Institute, I stalked them for about two years before I even made an appointment to go tour the school. Then I toured the school. Then it was it. I think I toured in October and I think December. I actually signed up for classes. December 5th, 2016 was my first class. So I met Reg and I met Elaine in Atlanta when I went there to do some Fearless Beauties was doing a presentation. And so I have to say I was so impressed with the school and Elaine's commitment to real, to quality aesthetic education. So, Right. That's pretty much why I went. At the time, she had the curriculum on the website. And coming from, my mom's a teacher, so coming from a curriculum-based household and and teachery, you know, household, that's what I wanted to look for. That's what I knew what to look for. So having all of that on display and everything was organized and you're going to learn this at this level and this at this level and this at this level. And it's like, my goodness, first of all, there's that much in aesthetics. Okay, so this is not just some certificate thing. This is like real science, real hands-on, real people, real training kind of thing. I like that about the school. So I went there, and then when you go there, and I had Miss Elaine taught us that at, um, we have levels. So she taught us at level one, um, and, and her knowledge was so in-depth, and it was just so much. And the way it just flowed out, it was like, I need to be like that. So it's awesome that Dia was inspired by Elaine in her level one classes. Mary, how important do you think it is to have mentors when you start out in aesthetics? Well, I think mentors are mentors because they want to be the cheerleaders and advisors and advocates for new estheticians. They've got that history, that experience, that wisdom. I think it helps lift some of the emotional burden off new estheticians. Um, they're carrying that burden, but the mentor can help offer insights that will help them avoid making costly mistakes. A mentor can also give them a kind of a sounding board to bounce off new ideas. They can add some wisdom into any of their spending decisions. Um, it's so easy to get excited and expand faster than your cash flow will really let you. Mentorship is so important. I think especially as women, it's crucial to hear stories from women that have already gone down the path before us. So... Mary, did Dia mention anything about how the beauty industry can be improved for new estheticians that are coming up? Actually, she opened up quite a bit about this when I asked her about her experience as a black woman in the beauty industry. It was really eye-opening. Well, a lot of the times you get discounted um, that you don't know the same thing that your non-POC counterparts know. And you end up saying what you do know or correcting the person and you're not meaning, well, I can speak for me. I'm not meaning to come off as a sassy, sassiness, but it's the reaction to the insult that a non-POC would give me because you think I don't know what, what the topic of conversation is. So just, I want to clarify 
that you feel like other professionals who are not POC discount your level of professionalism and level of knowledge. Yeah, you said it actually better than I could. It's disheartening because this is kind of like one industry. I just figured we were all focused on one thing, yes. which is, you know, you see, you see a condition, you want to treat the condition. Because of your knowledge with that client, of course, it spreads to another client and we grow businesses. I did not expect to be met with with so much that you have to fight in this industry too. I'm feeling that you're being disrespected. You are not being given the respect as a professional that you deserve and quite honestly have earned through your education and through your experience. You would be tremendously correct and I don't think that I'm articulating it well because in thinking back in some of the conversations that I've heard you try not to bring it back up or rethink about it because it is disrespectful and you're trying to be on this end you're always trying to be your best foot forward respectful of other people and there always comes a time where you have to check somebody and Coming into this industry, I did not expect to have to check when I felt like the common goal, we were all working towards a common goal. Common goal, yeah. Which is just treating skin. Like, I just, I don't understand how you would be, how you could treat skin or call yourself treating skin, and then there's skin that you don't like. That makes no sense to me. It shouldn't matter what that that skin is. What makes me nervous in hearing some of these recent conversations, seeing some of these recent conversations on social media, is that I, I am genuinely afraid for the POC that some of the loud and boisterous, downright racist people for those PLC who go to them and they get treated by them, I am concerned that they are not being treated properly. What are you doing to the persons of color who are in your in your, your chair, who are on your yeah. table? Yell and scream and shout and you don't want to talk about, you know, race relations, whatever the case may be, and you're a skin therapist and you have skin that you don't really care for. In your same breath of skin you don't care for, when you get a person of color on your table, you then drop a picture with permission of that person of color. Help, help me. I don't know, I don't know what to do. You expect for me to help you treat a person of color and you don't even like people of color? That makes no sense to me. It's really heavy and frustrating and unfair that any skin professional wouldn't be respected in their field. I I really feel for Dia's experience. Mary, how do you feel about after you heard Dia's story? It made me feel really sad listening to her story because it made me aware of how far our industry still has to go to become more inclusive. 
Absolutely. I mean, this disrespect that she faces just being a black esthetician, and yet at the same time she's asked for advice about um, how to treat people of color, there's a big um, discrepancy there. What are your thoughts about that? And what do you think that we should do as a society that we can contribute to some positive change? I think as a white woman, I have inherent biases, but I'm working to overcome them every time I'm made aware of them. Dia gets put in a tough situation when she's been disrespected by her peers just because of her skin color. But yet these same peers are going to reach out to her when they need advice for their client who's a person of color on their treatment room. I think that this podcast and the mission of Fearless Beauties is really to elevate the entrepreneur of color, highlight their stories of success, and so that can contribute to providing education and also hopefully will build some bridges between skincare professionals who have those biases and shift their mindset. I think more inclusivity in the schools would go a long way. Definitely more inclusivity in schools, also more inclusivity in marketing materials. I think representation really, really matters. And so seeing BIPOC folks on our Instagram feeds, either practicing aesthetics professionally or receiving professional skincare does a lot to normalize diversity within the aesthetics industry. After speaking with Dia, I wanted to see if anyone else in my network had a similar experience. I decided to chat with Kate Crow the general manager at Lash Lounge in Portland and Lake Oswego. I wanted to know, did she notice the same gaps in her education as Dia? So my beauty career and my military career kind of paralleled each other for quite some time. So I served in the Army National Guard for six years. You know, my travel started in Kansas City. I'm from the Midwest originally. Uh, I moved out to North Carolina, and that's really where my interest got peaked for beauty. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself in the military or myself as a civilian. And so I was in college. I was going for a major in uh, psychology and minor in military science. And that's when I realized it wasn't really what I thought I wanted to do when I got to that point. So I really hated shaving my legs. And I was like, what could I do to not have to shave my legs? And that's when I found laser hair removal. That's where I started. My whole interest was laser hair removal. I wanted to get it done. I wanted to do it. I wanted to have some sort of cause and effect. So uh, I was moving to Washington. I moved from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, up to station up in Joint Base Lewis-McChord, Washington. And that's when I went to beauty school. Uh, At the time that I graduated and I had my daughter, she was maybe two months old, I decided to let my maternity leave run out into my ETS state. So that's when I separated from the Army. And... I began my world into the beauty world. And I moved out to Colorado, uh, Fort Carson for that one, moved all around. So I went on and I got uh, injections trained. I did get certified laser specialist trained uh, at the laser school in Colorado. And then I worked at a five-star spa and I learned so much about customer service and how I could incorporate my advanced aesthetic knowledge into that. And then 
my home life fell apart, if you can believe. So I uh, moved my babies out to Oregon, out with my family is, and then I found the Lash Lounge almost a month into me being here. And I just wanted to learn lashes. I wanted to build to my skills and my knowledge. They had a great training program, which really appealed to me. I interviewed at multiple places in the city and the Lash Lounge's education was what drew me in. It just provided me a perspective of no matter where you're at in the country, no matter where you are at in this industry, whether it's hair or nails or skin or lashes, everybody does it a little bit different and finding a way to make sure that you're still supporting yourself and your personal journey while also learning how to work in a team environment. You see a lot of salons that are successful, some that are not so successful, and you kind of can plug and play for your own life, you know? So Kate had a very different path than Dia. Rather than working for herself, she was focused on learning new skills and expanding her education in skincare. What's the advantage of entering the industry like this? I'm not sure there is an advantage. I think Kate chose a more challenging pathway to start aesthetics uh, by learning new skills rather than expanding what Charity knew. But her journey to get there was different than Dia's. And I think her temperament, which is maybe why the military was a draw for her earlier in life. I think she chose a little bit riskier path and a different way from Dia, but she still built success with the life skills that she learned while working at the luxury spa. Absolutely. I mean, she's super successful, and I think that we can learn a lot from her. Did Kate have anything to say about what the Lash Lounge is doing to improve the beauty industry's learning system as a whole? So what we can do to be more inclusive at the Lash Lounge is just maybe broaden our scope of involvement. We have a pretty diverse crew, I would say. Um, That's something that we really pride ourselves on. That's something that I've seen work in some conferences that I've attended in Colorado. It was uh, one in particular was for Gen Now. And it just described about how multiple generations or multiple diversity factors within businesses provide uh, more successful business uh, because you're getting different mindsets, different perspectives, and you're opening also up a door of uh, different people's strengths coming into play. That's what we're really trying to focus on, especially in the light of current events in the world. And especially since uh, Portland is so passionate, we really want to think about what we can do to help support our community, to help support the up-and-coming stylists and also our guests. Um, So we've started to open the door a little bit more and start uh, having a little bit more conversation about the things that we can do to incorporate, whether it's, uh, you know, texture training, you know, that we can go a little bit more in-depth to, um, you know, whether it's just providing platforms of discussion that's a little bit more safe and friendly than what it has been in the past. So we're just trying to keep the conversations flowing and keep the ideas coming about all the ways that we can play our part to benefit everyone in this community. So, A major point that Kate touched on that I love is this need to have a safe space for more open conversations. Mary, why do you think that this is important? 
I think developing a culture of trust and a no judgment space, along with a mindset of openness, is really critical in the skincare industry in order to change the environment to become more inclusive. I think we'll go farther faster if skincare professionals really want to change and they want to become more diverse. So what can emerging beauty professionals do to start having conversations like these, these tough conversations? Well, I think first they need to be brave enough to reevaluate their own biases. I think they have to be willing to do some introspection and they have to consciously decide to be more aware of how they want to react to people, react to the circumstances around them. I think they need to get information from leaders and social and racial justice. They need to get involved with a mentor and maybe find social media groups that are encouraging diversity, inclusivity, and equality. I couldn't agree more. I think... You know, this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but I am white like you, Mary. And it's so crucial that at this moment in time, you know, and and consistently to keep this up in the future, it's important to check ourselves. It's important to do the work. It's important to stay informed and do all of the anti-racist work that we can. Do you have any resources that you can recommend for for other uh, white listeners to you know, stay involved? Yeah, actually, in the library at Spectrum right now, we have um, a book by Tanisi called Between the World and Me. Um, White Negroes, When Cornrows Were in Vogue and Other Thoughts on Cultural Appropriation by Lauren Jackson. The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Tatum. What makes a great esthetician in today's landscape? After hearing from Dia and Kate, we really need to start having conversations about inclusivity, equality, and treating skin of color. Maybe someone we can talk to about this is Nichelle Mosley. She has an aesthetic practice called Queen City Beauty, and she takes a really nurturing approach to skincare. Before, what I used to do was I used to teach. Um, I um, used to work with um, early childhood development and um, worked specifically with special needs children. That was what kind of started off, you know, my service heartedness, I guess you could say. (laughs) If I was just to pour my heart out, I really feel like estheticians are a form of healers. And it's something that, you know, I really feel very called to, to be in this, you know, sort of position. So we have the position to, you know, touch people and that touch is very healing. So, you know, I take on that role and I take that responsibility, you know, very sacredly. So in school, I had the best opportunity to be taught by a teacher who, you know, just really poured out her heart to her students. She didn't hold back. She basically, you know, just let us know the ins and outs of aesthetics. She prepared us for, you know, more than just the state board. I was very, very lucky. My program was a six-month program that I actually did speed up. You know, just like, like I said before, really felt like I was just in the right place. I'm just in a place where I can truly express myself and feel, you know, like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Like even from school, she can tell you that I've always just been really extra with when it comes to my services, when it comes to taking care of my clients. It's always been something that I've just really taking taking on that caretaker sort of um, responsibility when um, becoming the esthetician and the guide to, um, you know, helping someone reach their goal when it comes to, you know, helping them with their confidence level. Did you start your own practice right away or did you 
I didn't, no. So I worked right away starting out in like medical aesthetics. Like I mentioned before, I had, you know, the basic level training with um, my, my teaching, but then I went and tried to, you know, kind of learn everything under the sun. Um, I wanted to learn lasering, microneedling, you know, IPL, you know, just everything to just kind of learn um, a very broad range so that I could help as many people. I never wanted to have clients have, you know, the misfortune that I did walking into an office and being told that I don't know how to treat your skin. I don't know what is best for you. Your skin is unpredictable. Those types of things I think are very, you know, traumatizing. And uh, I just didn't want that for my community. And so that's the reason why um, I, I kind of went that route. So I really love that Nichelle takes a compassionate approach to her business. I think it's so important to connect on a deeper level with any client. Mary, what are your thoughts about Nichelle's story? I think that the Nichelle really established her own personal values of inclusivity and she's committed to education. So she's making sure that her professional career reflects those personal values. She can care for anyone who comes into her practice. Just touches on how important it is to always be educating yourself and doing the work. Why do you think, Mary, that it's important to seek out new forms of education on different skin types as an esthetician? I think, first of all, our country is just becoming more and more diverse. The results of the 2020 census will be out in early 2021, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how much more diverse we've become. Because in 1970, 77% of the population identified as white. Then in 2015, that number had decreased to 38%. So for our industry to even survive and offer effective uh, treatments on skin care, we're going to need to have a more inclusive education. So something else Nichelle mentioned is her experience as a black woman and how we can be doing better. So being in the beauty industry and, you know, just being a woman of color and having to be of service in this industry, it's, it's a lot to digest. And I feel like I have a very unique perspective because I am living in the South, but I am originally from uh, California. So, you know, just having that sort of upbringing where it's a very open kind of um, approach, a very diverse and inclusive kind of um, community. And then moving here and having people just, you know, really talk down to me, look at me very just unscrupulously just for, you know, just actually having the audacity to show up and think that I was qualified for something. You know, just those things were, they were, I would say, very, very eye-opening. And um, I, I think it, it really matters where you practice aesthetics in America. I can just, you know, see that there are so many different, uh, you know, dynamics that play, you know, that have a role in how people see you. And that has certainly shaped, you know, my confidence level. And it's, it's definitely been the reason that I've had the confidence to go out on my own and, you know, just really decide to make my own path because I just was never getting the respect that I deserved. And um, I can tell you so many different stories, you know, just, you know, being the only person of color in the room and, you know, people being shocked by my presence. And for example, there is one time that I went to a, a conference and I expected, you know, to maybe not be the only person of color, but I, I happened to be. 
And one of the conference hosts and speakers asked me my stance on blackface. And it was a very shocking and a very humbling experience. And, you know, to put yourself out there, to know that you're going to be in that sort of position, it's baffling to me that you, that there's things that you have to encounter as a, as a woman of color, as a black person. It starts, you know, at the very basic level of human rights. And if that is not being, you know, experienced by everyone, then everyone should be outraged. And those basic things are not being addressed. And that's the reason why you see so much carryover into, you know, our jobs, you know, into our everyday life. And it is a really different life that we have to live. We've heard from three incredible estheticians today about how they got started and what needs to change in the beauty industry. Mary, what do you think the future of beauty should look like? And how can we distill that in our up-and-coming estheticians? I don't think we should be surprised the systemic racism that's instilled in other areas of our culture, like education, banking, housing, and more, exists in the beauty industry. But demanding better education from aesthetic schools, as a professional, just being committed to seeking out diverse education, creating alliances and collaboration with other skincare professionals of color are just a few ways to get started. Absolutely. Has today's episode changed your perspective at all on the education system for the beauty industry? Well, I think my takeaways are that it's going to take individual initiative to make these changes in individual practices. And then I think larger groups can come together. They'll have the same values and they can really influence state boards. They can begin to influence the marketplace, skincare vendors, equipment providers, and just demand more inclusivity. Thank you for listening to Fearless Beauties, a show dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. Until next time, keep educating yourself, remember to stay open, and be fearless in the pursuit of creating a better, more inclusive world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Special thanks today to my co-host, Megan Rayo, and our producers at Quill.